In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. We're really uh, uh, excited to share this short series, it's just two weeks, with you. We're just going to have a bit of fun with the Christmas season. Um, and um, we just, we called this series Santa Sack. What does Santa have in that big bag he carries on his back? And what can I maybe learn from him? And what can I kind of pull out of that sack that Santa's got on his back and, uh, and, and learn from? And if you, were, if, you had, if you were able to join us upstairs, then you probably already got a coffee shop gift card, either a Tim Hortons gift card or, or a Starbucks gift card. And uh, uh, during the talk today, we're going to be telling you what, what to do with these uh, because it may or may not be exactly what you had, um, you, what you had in mind initially. So just getting started, you know, the holidays are a very interesting time. Growing up as a kid, the holidays were all about presents. Uh, I believed in Santa. I still believe in Santa. Um, and uh, I, I get in my stocking every year, I get a letter from Santa. It's remarkably in my, very similar to my mother's handwriting, who has very particular handwriting. But, it, but it's, I mean, it's signed Santa. And he always has some message to me about my past year and about my coming year. And always, he, always, he always has these proud words to say about me. And for reasons that I'm going to share during the talk, I still believe in that Santa. And as a kid, Christmas is all about, it's all about fun and it's all about gifts and about, it's all about playing in the snow and it's all about uh, being with the people who love you, um, who shower you with love and shower you with presents. But as you get older, you get in on the backstory of what probably was happening all along, which is sometimes there's like some contentious things happening and there's, uh, you know, um, uh, f familial conflicts seem to be heightened around the holidays and, and in conflicts with the in-laws get reignited during the holidays and conflicts between you know, siblings, between children and their parents. Um, it seems like a bit of a conflictual time or it could be. Um, and I'm going to share with you like something very personal. Um, Mary and I actually had like, like a month long I think the only word for it really is argument, if we're going to be honest, about what to do over the holidays, to go and see our in-laws, in, my in-laws in, in England, or to stay here, and why, and, and, and why that's so important to Mary, and why I can't understand why it's so important to Mary, right, and so on, and you know, of course, the end result is we're going to England to see the in-laws, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right, um, but that's uh, um, but that's uh, that's because marriage marriage is about loving and pleasing the other person, which is a talk for another day, right? But this only came up now around the holidays. Like everything was fine before, you know. And for all practical intents and purposes, I love my in-laws. Right. But why now everything, you know, like the gears rub just a little too closely and they grind and there can there's all these different, you know, conflicts and conflicts between children and their parents um, and intergenerational differences. All of this stuff gets highlighted now. 
And some, some people may be sitting and listening to this here, either here or online and saying, you know what, you're lucky that you have somebody to fight with over Christmas because I actually don't. I actually don't have anyone over Christmas. And that's another kind of pain. That's another kind of suffering that is heightened, that is magnified, that is amplified during the holidays where everybody has an idea of what's going on. You see, the person, the person who's alone doesn't know that the people who are all sitting around a turkey dinner somewhere are all sitting around a turkey dinner after they fought for hours and hours and hours about which house they were going to sit around the turkey dinner at, you know? And that, that person doesn't realize that it's not all as hunky-dory and as, you know, daisies and roses as they might think it is. And the person, the person who's in the, the, the family that's fighting over this or, or, you know, they think that the other family's got all their, 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 their stuff together. And everybody, we all have some preconceived notions about what things should be around the holidays. And it's funny, like the holidays sometimes reveal to us that our expectations aren't really what's happening. And some of that leads to like a certain fear of missing out, you know? So if you stay back, you, you, you don't want to miss out. And if you go, certain things rub you, rub you wrong. And all of, this, all of this gets heightened around the holidays. And I experience it just as much as, as, as you may. And this fear of missing out, you know, has become such a, such a profound thing that over 56% of people um, in, a, in, a, in a recent survey have said that they are considering unplugging for 52% for, uh, of people, sorry, are considering unplugging um, uh, uh, from social networks uh, in this coming year, right? 24% of them plan to stop or take a break, a vacation away from at least one of their social networks. So this shows you the, the relationship between between social media, which has created further expectations beyond the expectations that one already had. And where does all of this come from? All of this comes from a desire to perpetuate experiences that I had in my childhood, right? So in my childhood, we used to do it like this, right? And then Mary says, but in my childhood, we used to do it like that. And of course, everybody has an idea of what's right in their mind in their childhood because that's what Santa always did in my childhood. He did this and that's what my parents always did and that's what I grew up with and that's what's, that's what's right because that's what I'm used to. But the funny thing is, this is the funny thing, and this, this works like in the positive sense and in the negative sense, that our imagination of what could be is always magnified over what currently is. I'm gonna say that again. Our imagination of what could be is always magnified over what currently is. And that's why we all have a deep tendency and even risk, if we don't, we're at risk of, living in something other than the present. So I'm either thinking about the past and worrying about thinking about the future, right? And I'm thinking about what it could be. But what's present is not really, is not, is not really grabbing my attention. We can learn so much from children about this. So uh, all through the holidays now, 
with a three-year-old, our conversations are all around, what do you want Santa to bring you for Christmas, right? And um, Anna will say, like, I want Santa to bring me this. And then I'll tell her, oh, but like a, a, a piano or whatever, right? And I'll tell her, okay, she didn't say that, but suppose, right? And I'll tell her, oh, but don't you already have like this little keyboard? And she'll say, yeah. Uh, and then she'll realize that what she wants is actually very similar to what she already has. Then she'll go play with it a little bit because this is what I want. And then she'll realize that it's the same boring piano. It's as boring now as it was like 15 minutes ago before we had this conversation. And then she'll move on. And then she'll want something else. So the other day we were in the toy store buying buying some gifts for somebody else. And we agreed that we're buying gifts for other people not for ourselves. And as she's walking up the aisle, she sees some dolls and she says, she sees some Barbies and she says, oh, we don't need Barbies. We already have some. So I was like, ah, something is sinking in. Something is sinking in that what we have <coughs> is somewhat equivalent in certain ways, not exactly the same as what we will have or could have in the future. What's coming in the future is not you know, all glittery compared to what we have now. And what we have now is not so, forgive me, pathetic compared to what we will have in the future. But this happens, this happens in both directions. It happens, this is exactly how things happen when we have anxiety, right? We have a small problem before us now and we imagine that that small problem is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in the future. Everything what we have now, it's, it seems like it's magnified in the future. What, I'm he what we're here today for is to caution against that and to give some remedies for that, which really involve living in the present. Now, if you take what I'm saying to its extreme philosophically, on one side, you'll say, well, that means everything in the future is not nearly as good as I imagine it to be. So nothing is really worth working for. Nothing is really worth troubling myself over. And so that leads us to cynicism and absurdity. Life is absurd. No matter how hard I try, you're telling me, you're telling me the future is going to be similar in many aspects to what the present is. So no matter how hard I try, I'm not really going anywhere. And uh, there's no point. That's if we swing the pendulum the whole way to the negative. If we swing it the whole way to the positive, then we find ourselves saying, well, live, I live in the future and ignore the present. So we want to try to kind of bring ourselves to center and see See, what is it about the present that makes the present really the moment to live in, to live in now? The whole story of Christmas is all about the birth of this child who profits hundreds of years earlier, named Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. This is the magic of Christmas. The magic of Christmas, the magic of it all is that God himself is with us. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of speaking to somebody who is giving you their 100% undivided attention. I've had that experience a couple of times in my life. 
that I was aware of. Maybe people were giving me their complete undivided attention. I had no idea. But twice in my life I can remember where I felt like the eyes and ears that were fixed on me were penetrating. Now I want to ask you a question. Suppose, just suppose, you got summoned by Her Majesty the Queen of England to the court. So you figure, I don't know why they want me there, but I'm probably like an extra in a movie, you know what I mean? So I'll just put on my best clothes and keep my mouth shut, you know? Stay out of trouble. And so you go, you know, and you find yourself in the court and you just stand in some, you know, you know, in some back row, because like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I know I really don't belong here, so I'm just gonna stay quiet. And then Her Majesty walks in, everything goes quiet, and she calls on you to speak. And she says, I'm listening. What would that courtroom look like? What would that be like? That's what we're talking about when we say Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. God has come to give us all of himself. And this is so hard for us to understand. And St. John explains to us why it's so hard to, for us to understand because he says, no one has seen God at any time. In all of history, no one has ever seen God. So nobody knows who this is. When I say Her Majesty the Queen, you're expecting some little old lady wearing a hat who's very prim and proper, you know, and a variety of other things maybe. You have an image in your mind. But when I say God Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, what do, you, what do you think of? What picture do you have in your mind? I don't know, outer space or something? Like, what am I, how are you supposed to get your head wrapped around what is far greater than your head? In the prayers that we pray around this time, or, right, there's this one prayer we pray called the fraction, and we refer to God, O Master, Lord our God, co-creator, the invisible, the infinite, the unchangeable, the immeasurable. Like, he has no bounds, no beginning and no end. So it's, it's, it's no wonder I can't get my head wrapped around him because he doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. There's no, you can't get, you can't get around him. He's immeasurable. He's unchangeable. We cannot fathom what that means. My entire life has been subject to change. Change is any factor over time. As long as I've been alive, time has been passing. I don't know about you. I don't know what it's like to be outside of time. I don't know what it's like to not change. I can stand still, but the clock is still ticking and I know it. He is outside of time, unchangeable, infinite, without beginning, without end. What does that mean? If it boggles your mind, don't worry, it boggles everybody else's mind as well. We don't know, we can't, we can't put a picture to that. And that's why St. John continues and he says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So there is one who knows. The one that I can't know. The one I can't get my head wrapped around. The one that is too far beyond my comprehension, and I can't, I can't possibly fathom what he's like, I don't know. But I know somebody who knows. And that someone who knows isn't keeping it to himself. But he has declared him. This, 
This is what Emmanuel is all about. This is what the magic of Christmas is all about, is that God, God whom no one could get the, their head wrapped around before, has come and taken flesh and become somebody that we could interact with, someone that you could shake their hand, someone that you could tickle and he would laugh, someone that you fill in the blank, what you would do if you met Jesus. Funny that I said I would tickle him and he would laugh. That's what I would want to do if I met Jesus, right? <laughs> I'm sure you all have much more serious things you would want to do, right? To each their own. And that's why, that's why St. John, you know, before this, he says, the word became flesh. The second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, is often too referred, referred to as the word. Why? Because the Father, Father God Almighty, commands, he says, and things happen. Look at Genesis 1. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. What did he do to create light? He went into like a, you know, a, a physics laboratory and he, no, he said, he said a word, let there be light. That was enough for all the light that sustains the universe to appear. And then he said, let the land be collected together and the water separate. And they did with a word, the worlds were created, St. Paul says. That word that the Father speaks is what emanates from him and affects his will. That's what it does, right? He says a word, it comes out of him, and it does what he sent it out to do. Let there be light. Let the earth be collected together and the waters separate here and there. Funny thing, hey, Jesus, when they start accusing him of doing things and you heal on the Sabbath and you do this and you do that, and they're all gotten their knickers in a knot about what Jesus does. What does he say? I didn't come to do any works of my own. I do what the father has told me to do. And then tell him, you said this and you said that. He says, I did not come to speak my words, but I speak the words that I heard from my father. So we find this direct relationship of the son to the father. The smart theological people say that the son proceeds forth from the father. The father is the source of all things, the essence. And from him proceeds the son. And that's what, that's what St. John is telling us. The word became flesh. It was no longer a word to be heard. It was a word that you could touch. It was a word that you could feel. It was, it was no longer it. It was he. It was a person. He took flesh. The word incarnation, the word carnation sounds very much like carnal. That C-A-R-N, carn, that just means flesh, carnivore. He took the literal word for that carnivore is meat. He became meat. He became flesh, the immeasurable, the uncontainable, the unimaginable took form in flesh. That's what we're talking about. That's why this is such a magical season. What does it have anything to do with me? We'll get to that, right? Now, the next thing is that he didn't just take flesh. He took flesh and he dwelt 
among us. What does dwelt among us mean? Means there's a difference between coming and going and dwelling. How many of you dwell in this church? Nobody. At least what we've declared to MPAC is that nobody lives here, right? Nobody lives here, right? What would it mean to live here? To show up on Sunday morning for a few hours and leave? No, that's great. That's what you do if you visit. He didn't visit us from heaven. He dwelt among us. He came and he came to stay. He came to stay with you and with me. This is, and we're all getting to, we're all get, getting, getting to, getting to this and getting to these cards and getting to all of that in a second, right? And he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That's the last part of it is that dwelling among us, we were able to see, to interact with his glory, to, to touch his glory. The disciples go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with him and they see, they see him in all of his glory, brighter than the sun, it says, right? And lastly, his glory shows, shows most in that he is full of grace and truth. Gandhi, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, says, these are words spoken so beautifully, they could have only been spoken by God himself. Gandhi, who is not Christian, speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, says that these words are so beautiful, they could have only been spoken by God himself. Who else can marry grace and truth? All of us swing the pendulum one way or the other. Either we're all truth, right? And we're like rebuking and reprimanding and, and pointing out where the truth is and a, a bit harsh, if you allow me to say. Or we're all grace, all kindness and generosity and it's okay. And who is able to marry those two perfectly? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can look at the thief on the right who says, I deserve to be on this cross. Jesus didn't tell him, no, you don't. Those evil people who crucified us and this and that. He didn't tell him that. He said to him, today you will be with me in the kingdom. He assented to the truth and he gave him grace. Only Jesus, the woman caught in the act of adultery, can say to her, go and sin no more. He didn't tell her those we evil, wicked people want to stone you. Man, they're, and they're trying to trip me up in words and this and that. Those wicked people. He didn't say that. He didn't slander them. He said to her, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He, he acknowledged her sin but he treated her with grace. Only Jesus knows how to perfectly marry grace and truth, which reveals to us his glory, how glorious he is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Now, how did we get to planning this series? Somebody sent me a Christmas to-do list that's, that had some corrections on it. Instead of by presents, it said be present. Instead of wrapping gifts, it said wrap someone in a hug. And there are a few more that we're going to share from this same Christmas to-do list. 
Mina Bahgat will come and speak next week and he'll share a few other things on this Christmas to-do list. I'm just going to talk about the first two, right? Be present. Life happens in the present. It doesn't happen in the past and it doesn't happen in the future. It's only available in the present. And there's all kinds of stuff now that have been popularized about mindfulness. And some of it I agree with, some of it I disagree with. But the point is this, what my mind is full of may or may not be what is actually happening in the moment. And what actually is happening in the moment is what I have power to effect change in. I can't change the past and I have very little control over the future. But what is in this present moment is what I have power to do something about, to do good or to do evil, to help or to be a hindrance. This is, this is where it all happens. St. John in his epistle tells us it's very simple. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. It's very simple. In loving my neighbor, God is there in between. And that's all God is calling us to do, right? So one way of living in the present, one way of, of, of making this more practical is to, is to look and ask myself the, the question that that lawyer asked Jesus and he answered him with the Good Samaritan question, who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor at home? Who's your neighbor at work? Who's your neighbor on your whatever soccer team or basketball team or whatever you do with your leisure time, if that exists anymore in the 21st century, right? Who is your neighbor? I remember once complaining to my spiritual father that I wear too many hats. This was before I was married. Like it got much simpler afterwards, but anyways, right? You know, right? So, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a priest. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I'm, I have all of these different hats that I have to wear. I would encourage you, and, and, and it, it, is, it, is, it is difficult, and it's difficult not to leave, lead a fragmented life when you have all these different roles and all these different areas of life, right? But I would encourage you to continue trying to live an integrated life and not to fragment, but at the same time to look and see all of those different areas who is my neighbor in each of those? When I'm a student, who is my neighbor? When I'm at work, who is my neighbor? When I'm at home, who is my neighbor? And it's simple. If I can love that person in a way that's relevant to them, if I can connect with that person in a way that's relevant to them, God is there in our midst. Another really simple way to live in the moment, and I talked about this upstairs during the liturgy, but I can't help but mention it again, is praise. The church, we're so blessed to be in, from a church that has a, a very rich tradition of praise. We can look in midnight praises and find hours worth of, of praises that you, can, that you can recite. One of my favorite psalms of praise is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and never forget the good things he has done for me. He forgives all my sins, he heals all my iniquities. As far as is the east is from the west, so far has he removed our iniquities from us. It goes on and on and on. The words are so beautiful words of praise and words of appreciation to God center us 
thanksgiving and gratitude centers us in the present and keeps us living in the here and now, keeps our eyes on what I have, not on what could be, which is distorted, magnified, either in the positive sense or in the negative sense, but just keeps me centered. So when you're in your, your family gatherings this, this year, and if, if you're, um, you know, with the, you know, uh, in, in a family gathering and you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do, you know, pull out a couple of words of praise, close your eyes and turn yourself to God and praise Him. It will center you in that moment. Little, little secret, maybe I shouldn't be saying this publicly. When I find my, sometimes I find myself in social situations that I, in which I don't know what to do. I'm honestly speaking to you from my life. I go to the washroom because that's the place where I can be alone and I close the door and I put my back to the door because I'm not here to use the facilities. I'm here to be alone and I find God, yes, in the washroom if it's the only place I can find him. But I find him there and then I carry him with me to wherever I'm going to go and I say a few words of praise. I praise him. Yes, it's an awkward place, but if, he's, if that's the only place that I can be alone with him, I'll take it and I take him with me and I take him with me into whatever awkward social situation I know I'm about to go into or I was just in or whatever. Find God because God lives in the present, in an eternal present moment. He lives in eternity. He is here with us, dwelling among us. That's the, that's the, that's the beauty. That's what Christmas is all about this is it so finally getting to getting finally getting to these gift cards if you didn't get one there's plenty up here if you want to take a second one you're more than welcome these are a gift from the church to you these are ten dollar coffee shop gift cards and the church is investing not giving investing ten dollars in you you're worth a whole lot more and I'm sure you are you're I would invest so much more but we've started at 10 if you want if you want more the church is delighted to invest more in you we want you to take these cards and we want you to invite somebody for coffee this week and practice everything we just talked about we want you to do what this church is all about reaching out to the unchurched with love in action find somebody anybody your neighbor at home your neighbor at work your neighbor at school your neighbor wherever and offer them a cup of coffee that's it and be present with them take interest in them ask them questions as God himself has come down and become incarnate that that which was never seen and never heard before could be seen and could be heard and could be touched and could dwell among us God wants to dwell in your neighborhood in your school in your work in your home between you and your colleague and he'll do that by taking flesh in you what do you mean it's really simple we'll finish with this God is speaking a word to you now. You're hearing it. He's telling you, go have coffee. 
okay? <laughs> or tea or whatever other hot liquid product, cold liquid product offered by these reputable stores, right? You hear the word. You hear a word. You don't see anything. I don't see anything. They're sound waves, but we can't see them, but we can hear them. You hear the word. It enters your heart. You decide to do it. The word that you hear coupled with your will goes and says, hey, what do you say we grab a coffee tomorrow after work or tomorrow during lunch or tomorrow, whatever, right? <coughs> and all of a sudden, the word which you heard is now seen, is visible, is tangible. How? Because it took flesh in you. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.